I want to lead us to God's Word for just a moment, if you will. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and we'll be uh, looking at verse 57 as we start, as we have been going through the Christmas story in this season of Advent, and we've been systematically looking at the different themes of Advent and seeing how they reveal themselves in the Christmas story and how they find their fulfillment and their promise in this coming child that we have been told about. And so as we've meditated on this story, we've marveled at how the promise of the coming Jesus laid a foundation first for gospel hope, the true biblical hope that is not merely wishful thinking, but a confident assurance that God is faithful to fulfill his promises and accomplish his purposes. And then we've also laid the foundation for true biblical peace as we've seen how the announcement of Jesus brought with it the promise of peace to all those who believe. And as Jesus is the only one who can secure peace between God and man. And we also saw the truth that true peace is found in trusting God's promises, provision, and providence. And then finally, last week, we saw the responses of Mary, Elizabeth, and John at the promise of the coming Messiah. And in their responses of sheer humility and praise, we saw that joy is the response of a heart that possesses hope and peace found in Christ. And so this morning, we're overwhelmed with the love of God, which overflows in this story. So I'll ask you to stand once again in honor of the reading of God's word, and we'll read this morning's verses and then move through uh, and unpack some of these things that we see on how God's love is revealed to us in this Christmas story. So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 57. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called. He asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately, his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them, all those who lived around them. And all these were, things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, in his presence all our days. And you child, 
will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became spiritually strong, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray real quick, and then we'll unpack a few of these things. God, we thank you for this beautiful example of how your love overwhelms us in this story, of how you sent Jesus to step into our brokenness so that we could have a way out of brokenness. So God, we cry out to you this morning as we exclaim your praises at what you did in this story of Christmas. And God, as we examine and look forward with great anticipation, hope, and peace, and joy for that day of your second advent when you will come again. So Lord, let us not lose that hope and peace and joy and love that we experience in this story. Let us exclaim that until that day comes. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. So we see here in verses 57 through 58 that the time had come for Elizabeth as we've been moving through this story. And we, uh, Luke beautifully interweaves the story of John and John the Baptist and Jesus in together to show us how God was at work providentially through all of these things that he was exclaiming and making known through Gabriel and that so that all may see his love displayed in this story. And so one of the most comforting truths in all of Scripture is that God acts to accomplish his plans and purposes. That is to say that we do not serve a God who is passively observing, but actively working in all things. And that's one of the assurances that this story gives us is that God is at work in all things at all times to accomplish his purposes and make his glory known, and he calls us to play a role in that. And Luke mentions in a rather casual way, now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. So a lot takes place in just that one casual sentence as, again, If you haven't been with us, we track, and in the beginning of this story, we see Zechariah and Elizabeth were an elderly couple who had long wanted children and prayed and desired children and were righteous and faithful in the sight of the Lord. But the Lord had not provided children for them to this point. And so he providentially chose this couple, which had not been able to have children, to use them as an example of his great power and grace. So this is no casual thing that had just happened. Rather, this is a miraculous event. And Luke's casual confidence comes from what we read in verses 13 through 14 of this story. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. And so the confidence comes from God has said that it will take place. And it happened. And so there we see in verse 14, there will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. 
And we see this truth from the beginning of Scripture, that when God speaks, things happen. That is why we hold God's word with such high regard and reverence. Because the same word which made planets and stars and fish come into being is the same word which is recorded for us on these pages. And is the same word that became flesh at Christmas. So, when the promise of God was delivered through the angel Gabriel, it was as sure as done because God had said it would be so. That is that this faithful, righteous, elderly couple would give birth to the forerunner, to the Messiah. And not only do we see verse 13 come to pass, but in, in verse 58 of what we just read, then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. And so we see verse 14 from what Gabriel had announced come to pass as well. So what an incredible testimony that when we begin this narrative of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we're told that they were both righteous in the sight of God and man. And now we come to see God's word fulfilled in their midst. And what is it that the crowd hears about? It's not that she had just given birth or that uh, the one who had virtually, it was virtually impossible for her to give birth has now given birth. Instead, they hear that the Lord had shown her his great mercy. What a testimony. And may all that see anything good in us receive the same word that God has shown us his great mercy. And that is what the Christmas story makes abundantly clear for us, that God's love is made evidence, evident by his mercy and grace. You see, mercy and grace are simply reflections of who he is, and that is love. As we read earlier in 1 John 4 that the Rodriguez family read for us, the one who does not love does not know God because God is love. And God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. So God's actions and character reveal his love because God is love. Just as the Rodriguez is read for us earlier, God's love does not reward, is not a reward for our good works because it's who he is. Love is woven into the very fabric of his being. And the sending of Jesus is the assertion of God's love for us. And we see this truth echoed in Romans 5, 8, where we read, but God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So the sending of Jesus asserts God's love for us, and the death of Jesus proves it. And as we keep reading in this story, as the verses we just read, we see how God's word, God's promise of love, has affected Elizabeth and Zechariah. As we see that the crowd has some role to play in the naming, and this was a cultural uh, element, and we see some of this take place in the book of Ruth, chapter 4, verse 17, as Ruth gives birth to a child, and they name him Obed after his father, Jesse, after the father of Jesse, uh, the father of David. So, and naming the child on the day of his circumcisions was not uh, prescribed in the Old Testament. What was possibly based on the tradition that Moses was circumcised and named on the eighth day, and Abraham was given his new name on the day of his circumcision. 
So this group sets out to name the child Zechariah. But Elizabeth speaks up and firmly states, no, he will be called John. And that no right there isn't just the regular standard form of the word. It is written with strength and emphasis. So Elizabeth was very forceful here that God had declared through Gabriel that this baby would be named John. And so she wanted to walk in obedience to the word that was to God's word delivered through Gabriel. And so they asked the father. They try to go behind her back and they ask the father what he thinks the baby should be named. And he, who had only before been able to write or been able to speak because of his doubting earlier in the story, could only write through a wooden tablet with wax on it. And he says, the child's name will be John. So they're both squarely focused on making sure that God's word is adhered to in this moment, even down to the smallest detail. And we May we see the example of all those in the story that model that for us, that God's word unites the focus of God's people. God's word unites the focus of God's people. So when God's word is our sole authority, our sole focus will be united and living in accordance to God's word. So to live with God's word as our sole authority, that we may unite our focus and our lives. And we see this take place in our story here as we continue reading, as we read there in verses 64 through 66. So immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. And so we see here that when the people of God live out the word of God, we reflect the character of God for the glory of God. And that's what's taking place. Zechariah's sole focus was to see God's word will be done. And he had personally experienced what happens when you question God's word, as he was silenced. So now, his discipline has proved fruitful, because the time comes and he says, the child's name will be John. And what happened, his mouth was open, and he was able to declare with praise. So having come out of this season of intense discipline as a direct result of his lack of faith, Zechariah responds by rejoicing at what God was doing. Like his son and his wife and Mary before him, Zechariah is filled with the Holy Spirit, causing him to burst out in praise. And what is it that he rejoices in? It's not the first thing that he rejoices in. is not that God had provided him a son that he had so long wanted and dearly prayed for, but it was that God had been faithful to provide salvation for his people. God's discipline refines our faith. As Zechariah had to sit in silence, unable to hear, unable to speak, at the greatest news of all, that time of discipline had refined his focus on realizing what God was doing in their midst. So now the son which he and Elizabeth had desired for so long has been born, And the first words out of Zechariah's mouth are that of overwhelming praise at God's faithful love to provide redemption for his people. And that's what we read in verses 67 through 79, as this is called the Benedictus. So Zechariah's song of praise is an incredible connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. You see, being a priest, Zechariah's knowledge of the Old Testament was extensive. He would have had large portions of the Old Testament memorized, known it by heart. 
But in the midst of his discipline, he's had time to ponder and meditate and see what the Lord was doing in these days. So when he's finally able to open his mouth, he bursts out in a song of praise that exclaims God's faithfulness and provision. He connects the Davidic covenant and the Abrahamic covenant to the new covenant that God was establishing in their midst. Zechariah finally speaks on the birth and the provision of his son in verses 76 through 77, as we read there. But it's not out of exclamation of what the Lord had done for him, but at what his son would do to walk in the ways of the Lord. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways. So notice in verse 78 that Zechariah notes is what caused these events and this incredible action of God. Verse 78, we read, Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us. You see, Zechariah realizes that Christmas... That what was happening here in this moment is the personal expression of God's faithful love that he has shown from the beginning. So at Christmas, we celebrate that love came down because at Christmas, God came to be with us in the person of Jesus, taking the first step on the pathway to the cross. So my prayer for us is echoed in Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 3. Starting in verse 16, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May it be true for us that in this season of Advent, we appreciate fully the expression of God's love that is Christmas. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this truth revealed in your word. We thank you for your love revealed to us in the act of sending Christ. And there is no step in this journey which took Jesus away from the cross. And so this was the first step toward paying the price for our sin. And so at Christmas, we celebrate all that there is in the fullness of this story, in the fullness of your faithful love and what you accomplished for us. I pray that if there are any here They have not trusted in that work, in this good news that you came to be with us so that you could make a way for us, that you would stir their hearts to respond accordingly. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.